And we're live. I'm here with uh, LB. LB, how you doing? Doing good, Caleb. Thanks for having me. I think we'll find <laughs> out at the end of this episode. This should be a fun one. I'm happy to have you on again. I've been listening to your series with uh, Andrew on um, the Evan Crown Tim. Yep. And uh, I, I picked up the book myself and finally get through it, read it myself now. It's a, it's a good book. I'm really enjoying it. It's a very interesting book for me to read. Um, both as like somebody who was raised Catholic, struggles with a Catholic faith, um, but also somebody who just I enjoy what I really enjoy, what I've really enjoyed about the series is just getting into a text and having that like you know and having all the things click as somebody walks you through an argument. I was very as as I want to be, but I was very skeptical at the beginning of it. And whereas now closer, you know, seven chapters in or so, I kind of actually see a lot of the logic and and find out that it, it actually coheres to a lot of the stuff that I a lot of the things that I was kind of ruminating on myself, which is always interesting as um, always interesting for people who take intellectual pursuits seriously. And it's certainly something that I always return to, which is as unique as you might think you are, somebody's probably been here before. Somebody yeah. at some point in human history has probably thought a little bit along the lines that you've thought. And there's and like there's nothing wrong with that. And, and, that, and I think that's kind of part of what makes us human in a, in a mm. very real way. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and I think that ties a little bit to our conversation. Tonight. Oh, yeah. There's definitely something freeing, I think, about that. When you realize there's really no new ideas under the sun, this new formulations of ideas, sort of, or new ways mm -hmm. of saying old ideas. And you kind of, okay. If I start thinking of something, I had to find a way to describe it to find out who else thought this, and I can read where they went from here. You know, like when I first found out about uh, Eric von Knut Loden, like a Catholic Austrian who was like a monarchist and a, a, a mid-atomist, I'm like, okay, this guy called himself all the same thing I call myself. Let's see mm -hmm. what he thought. I'm like, oh, well, oh, I thought I think the same things. He just thinks more and better, and being able just to build from where he left off. It's kind of as a freeing in the finding the same people, finding people you. Who think what you think like you think, and maybe just go from where they left off. They move the legwork. There's a bit of a freedom in there. I think that's super helpful. But um, you get to the point of this. <clears throat> excuse me. There's a lot of um, libertarians who don't seem to uh, know philosophy, or they conflate political theory and economics with philosophy. Um, and they, I've noticed it more as I'm getting more and more into philosophy. That when a libertarian says something, there's a lot of uh, presuppositions that they are just kind of building it is extremely the norm and building off of and then not ever defending or elaborating or refuse to talk about like a lot of the things like uh, ip for example ip doesn't exist right they're, they're kind of materialistic in their view it's um, a more materialism where ip doesn't physically exist because property is physical therefore ip doesn't exist and they build their ip views on that instead of i think stronger arguments because they have a very materialistic way of thinking have you noticed this too or am i just the only guy to notice this well, I think you, you touched upon a number of things, and I think in general, people don't have, you know, most people aren't super interested in philosophy. With libertarians, it gets interesting because kind of your point, the, to the degree to which people conflate political theory with political philosophy per se in the field of economics with political philosophy or, or philosophy and and like there's kind of there uh, there are well well-intentioned reasons for it right like for example mm -hmm. if uh you know a very common uh, upper graduate degree is a ppe like a, a philosophy of politics and economics so in fact in that they're studied in um in that they're studied in higher education with it actually it, they are largely correlated with each other what you also said in that is that 
with people who focus solely on economics rely on a lot of presuppositions. And those presuppositions are precisely the realm of what many people I think today would call philosophy. And certainly in if you're and like this is where it's OK, is philosophy is philosophy. Sorry, this is this is the thing you do in philosophy, though, right? Is what is philosophy? Is philosophy a collection of books? Is philosophy the way of the way you're supposed to live your life? Is philosophy um, the exploration of ideas, kind of, and like mm -hmm. you know, and like the and and the and just examining every single possible angle or understanding like that an idea can have, and by breaking down those differences and understandings, you can try to like build build a logical rational argument for something that you believe in hmm. so i think so so those presuppositions i i personally find a little more interesting for example right i talk about practicing skepticism on my show which comes from just i've always been very interested in in epistemology and how how society or and you know i guess and how societies in particular um how societies in particular like use words to, to say things to say different things and so again, there's a large crossover with economics, and so I've I've studied plenty of economics as well. But there, the question there, I think the question really is just a matter of scope. And as long as you limit, and as long as you recognize the limits of your scope, you you know you're going to use a tool better, a tool like economics. Mm. Absolutely, no, it's um, <clears throat> excuse me. Let's see how to put this. Um. The answer to Das's question here about what is philosophy, how do you define philosophy? Um, what it's it's, it's it's difficult to I think define because I think there's, there's people like Peter Creep to define philosophy as just a love of wisdom, which I I like that, but it's kind of um, short and sweet and doesn't really get to a point of like, you know, my advice anyone who loves wisdom is a philosopher. You know, I think there needs to be a more stringent definition, but I I don't really have a good one. No, it's the study of um, well. What, how was I taught? So, you know, you're, what you're taught is, yeah, like you're very lover of wisdom, lover of truth. I mean, this is, you know, this is like the beginning, the beginning point of all philosophy is getting definitions correctly. And that's, I mean, I, I can't, that's why I tried to address that there are multiple ways in which people will use something like philosophy. Mm -hmm. And to a certain degree, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, in a very real way, right? Like I, there is like, I, I, I operate kind of against that tendency to separate everything out into neat little boxes as far as like modern academia is concerned, right? I tend to take a more holistic approach to my quest for knowledge, you might say, um, right? So it's not about being super specialized and hyper specialized. I'm far more on the generalist side of things that would just for just for everybody to understand. But to the point is, when you're awarded a higher, like this is very base level stuff, right? But like if you're rewarded a PhD, that's a doctorate of philosophy. So everybody is a philosopher of a kind, even if you're a historian, right? So it's like, is philosophy just Plato and Aristotle and the people today who say they're philosophers or is philosophy like what everybody does? I look at it as an examination of truth, we might say. Mm. Um, uh, I look at it as, I, I view philosophy as the process the means by which we come to knowledge and i look at the repository of the various philosophers as stepping stones on a path to somewhere you know we might not yeah. exactly know but it's maximizing human reason to examine the world around us hmm. um and and, in, and and at least in that it was i was taught in part you know in ancient in that in the west we trace it back to ancient greece 
is part of it had to do with reconcile with reconciling religious uh, differing religious beliefs as well. And I think you can kind of see how that naturally flows. If, if two cultures have different religious practices that are almost at odds, right? Because there are gods are not the same as theirs. And yet they're met with success and we're met with success. How can we try to come to understand how this phenomena occurs, given that it goes against our frame of knowledge that we currently have established? So I think, um, yeah, love uh, the, the field of philosophy is about is about studying truth, broadly speaking, mm. or at least that's what they would have said at one point in time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. It's um, get back to the topic of libertarian. There seems to be a I put it, I, w- I, w- I would say a political uh, ideology has to consist of political theory. Um, p- philosophical presuppositions, um, and then art statements, along with a view of a, at least a somewhat view of economics. I would say you have to have a uh, what people ought to do, what uh, a um, kind of political theory system would work, view of economics that can be incorporated in political theory, and in the presuppositions you use to say why these things are good in a philosophical context. And a lot of libertarians, I think, only have the economics, political theory, and kind of even ignore art statements outside of the idea of like, well, people ought not be aggressed against, so people ought not be aggressors. And they kind of stop mm-hmm. there. They don't ever take it any further to say people ought to be free. Say, but people are free naturally, and then it's the... Um, Outside seeing the step in that we all rob the freedom. People ought to be free, but they said to actually already have the freedom. I think there's a a lot of baggage in their ideology that's not ever really discussed. You know, like this is all great libertarian thinkers who have gone into like the presuppositions or talk about how Austrian economics is either Kantian or, or scholastic. But I think it's kind of something that is breezed by a lot of people to get to like more forefront issues of understanding the actual base of things. I think because I, I think I think in part where where you know I, it, I'm gonna be philosophical about this but it's mm-hmm. who who are we talking about when we say you know libertarians I don't I, and this is this is the point that I've tried to make in in my own small little way um, where I've sp- talked specifically about like this subculture of libertarianism that I've been a part of for you know the better part mm-hmm. of a decade um, but I it, like there's it's reached a certain level of popularity to where the core, ideas have kind of been i don't know forgotten laid to the side <clears throat> i was talking i was talking recently about how like okay it when i started studying you know when the question of like political philosophy was brought up to me or i started looking into these ideas there was never the presupposition that this would become my entire identity right <laughs> turns out i have a i have a large interest in it it's some politics is something that i've pursued and like an interest in politics and the current events has been something i've pursued but like but that came before i discovered anything vis-a-vis libertarianism right and so there i never really had this i never had this thing of like oh well what the political philosophy i find that's the thing that's going to become a large part of my identity now it certainly did for a good portion of time right as as many people in my life would attest to right as you're kind of ingesting and if you're somebody who ingests a lot of information you're also going to like digest that information and then and then try to share it with people it's one of the reasons why you're so interested in collecting information is to actually is to actually share it with other people um so this is to say i think something you know i'm I'm a millennial, but like at the tail end of millennials, I was born in 1992. But I think there's something of a generational difference that occurred where suddenly 
suddenly it wasn't just about an academic pursuit. It was about a lifestyle. It was about a culture. It was about an attitude towards things. And, and, but to, and to maybe to answer the question directly, there was always there was always deontological arguments within libertarianism, right? There were arguments mm. that took things for granted, or we might and deontology is like a Kantian frame, right? So you could, and and yes, Mises was very influenced by that. Of course, he would have been because that's what he would have read in college, and you know, like that would have yeah. been the style that he was comfortable with, comfortable writing with. Um, but there's always been deontological and then or utilitarian or consequentialist arguments for things. Right. We actually we, you can actually look across most schools of thought and you look and find out that people tend to ha have both of those kinds of arguments to justify those schools of thought in and of themselves. Whether that be conservatism, whether that be progressivism, whether that be liberalism to the extent that something like that still exists. And so you find it within libertarianism. My personal, yeah. my, my, you know, the way I look at things is, is behavior manifest, like your temperament manifesting through your behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an element that people, people tend to gloss over as well. So I, so, and I think, you know, does, I do think that the, like libertarianism answers a lot of modern types of political questions where I've become critical of it recently is that, were not is that um i think i, I think uh it requires a recalibration hmm. um to where from where it was to where it is today and i think a lot of people recognize that and they're just recalibrating differently so yeah. you know that's that's kind of where you're actually getting into it but i think again so you know because you asked me on to talk about you know why they don't have a broader base and i think in part it's because economics is such a powerful tool it's a really really powerful tool for those proximate causes because it helps answer especially the austrian school because the austrian school relies so much on philosophy right the idea that the idea of a science being logic based is itself an exercise in philosophy um, we were saying before we went on that like around the time of Marx and later Mises, the, the economists were really, and the progressive era really, the economists were considered the new philosophers, right? Everybody gets issued a PhD, a doctorate in philosophy. So who's, who's, who are the people at the cutting edge? Well, economics for a while was considered that cutting edge because it was a new field. And, so, and that's what yeah. the Austrian school gives you. I think where people get mistaken, right, is when thinking that that, that something like that can give you answers across all domains. And I yeah. do think that, and I think that's where I, 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 I think that's apparent to people who have studied it, right. Uh, you know, an expert in the Austrian school wouldn't say that this is going to tell you how to live your life. I mean, um, economics professors always make the joke about, I think what's his name. I don't want to give him credit. It's Lucas um, Adelson. He's, I can't remember his last name, but he's with the Mises Institute. I love his lectures. I always, I always make sure to watch him and he loves Star Trek. And that's part of the reason why. But he said he makes a joke like he wanted to study money instead of make money. <laughs> right. So it's so it's like not to say that you can't earn a good living with the academic pursuit, but it's different than trying to, like, maximize profit for, yeah. you know, for your lifestyle or something like that. And I think in the tension therein, you kind of start to see where if you take a strictly economic view for your entire life, you might you, know, you, you might run into a bad time. <laughs> um, and yeah, you can tie that to ideas like materialism if you want. Right. And in fact, it, part of it is because of its strict materialism. Right. Um, but you can get pretty far with materialism is oh, the yeah. reality. I think to answer your question you asked earlier about like what libertarian, what's libertarians and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's really, this is, this entire podcast is born out of two things. One, um, 
I got into a little uh, again uh, this, Ace Aukus. I consider him a friend. He's been on the podcast. I like Ace. He's a friendly guy. We had a little disagreement, and I had loads of people from his following, basically like twenty thousand followers now, who all want to be like Ace. So they all will argue with you too, but none of them are worth arguing with. Mm-hmm. And so I, you see a flood of like these people who aren't smart trying to be like someone who is admittedly decently smart, like Ace. And it's just kind of like, okay, what is this? What is happening? What is with this like large number of people who are all finding libertarianism, anarchism, whether through Ace, through Michael Malice, through Dave Smith, who are then coming into it. And uh, the people who know the philosophy and really know like the presuppositions, know the stuff going on, aren't being paid attention to by the by. And it's understandable for a lot of math. The masses aren't going to like fully adopt the whole philosophy or do all the reading and research. That's understandable. Um, but there are ones who, how do I put this? There are a good number of people, I would say, who believe libertarianism is because it is a political philosophy, is a philosophy. And are not doing any of the uh, actual deep dives or research into it, and I yeah. I don't. Uh, what's is again an, an understandable thing, but something I think it should be at least called out, and then so people can at least see this. Like, okay, well, I guess maybe I should do some reading some some actual philosophy, you know. The whole Twitter thing <laughs> um, is you know it's it's one of it's I. Uh, so like I have a thing with my friends and I, and, and like if somebody's cause you know, I'm a kind of, I, and I complain too. And I, I the start of, a, of something I started doing with myself is I started, I realized I have a, a tendency to catastrophize and I can really break down a situation really, really well. Right. And you mm-hmm. know, uh, my studying philosophy has probably helped that somewhat, uh, somewhat, but so I can really, really break things down well and I can pick apart something and be like, these are all the things wrong with this process or why th- this is why nothing ever gets done in such a, such a, company blah 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 and i realized and then i would like call my coworker, and you know like we would both complain blah 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 and i i'd, I'd like to think this is something that other people share and i'm not just crazy I, I so what too. i realized was i realized i was doing this and i'm like okay well let me try and flip this and let me try and turn this into like a solution so when i'm so when i notice myself on this on this path i'm like i flip it and if i can't come up with a solution then i have then when i talk to somebody i have to preface what i'm saying and say look i'm just i'm just complaining Right. I'm just bitching. And yeah. I think as long as you understand that, you know, we're just I'm just compl- like if I come to you and say, look, I'm just I just need to complain about something real quick. Cool. We can have a conversation and you're not expected to fix anything and I'm not expected to like to solve anything either. And I th- and, and so how does this relate? OK, so this relates to what we do on Twitter, where like we're really just kind of complaining and we're Twitter rewards brashness and it rewards uh, it rewards dunking and it rewards kind of like calling people out. And to be frank, it doesn't create a conducive environment for philosophical exchange. It's one yeah. of the reasons why I treat I as somebody who's responsible with the tool of philosophy. Um, I make I, I treat Twitter like WWE. I'm not trying to <laughs> pretend to be a philosopher on Twitter. I'm not even trying to be pretend to be a philosopher on my show. Right. Yeah. You know, th- that's part of the story. I was trying to pull up Stanford. I've written about this at, at beenawake.com, but like I was trying to pull up Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy because that's kind of like considered a like like a mainstay source for like basic definitions. But I know part of their definite their entry for philosophy or the philosopher again comes from this hesitancy to um, hesitancy towards like calling oneself the thing, right? So the so the logos, the 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 truth, right? Logos, truth. 
Mm-hmm. Well, so the first guy who was studying this didn't want to call himself the truth, so he called himself a philosopher, a lover of the truth. The other people were the ones who said the truth. He was merely studying it, and so you know, and so too. So I th- you see that um, that's that's again that that uh, that humility really when it's when it's done properly, right? It's hmm. it's a hum it's a hum it's a humble thing. That's whatever. That's what's ever. That's why everybody was pissed off at Socrates in in Plato. Socrates is that. He just kind of like walked around and said, well, hey, people say you have the truth. Do you? And then it turns out they didn't. Right. It turns yeah. out, you know, you, you can go through those sorts of things. But so where sorry, I kind of got sidetracked. You were talking about the Twitter exchanges, but these Twitter exchanges are formulaic. And again, while entertaining at times are also a really big mind suck yeah. because, again, from a philosophical perspective, there's no. There's no actual exploration happening. There's debate. Now, debate is something very, very different. Mm. And debate serves a completely different purpose. And, you know, if you know your philosophy, you can get good at debate. But it's um, it's a matter of intention. So if my intention is somebody like Ace is to make sure that I always look smart in front of my followers, then, you know, that leads to certain incentive structure to where even in cases where an honest mistake happens... Or to, in a case where like something is, you know, where, where it's where it's wrong. There's no judge, right? The judge is just the crowd. There's no referee. There's nobody calling balls and strikes. There's no formal structure to actually ascertain the uh, the validity of anybody's position. It's just what somebody thinks about. And in a political argument, the moral edge goes to the side you already agree with. So what you just get is a reinforcement mechanism as it relates to that. And that's part of the danger of. Um, well, that's part of the danger of, of to what you were kind of driving out of mistaking mistaking political philosophy per se with philosophy as a whole, because yeah. for most of philosophy, it isn't contentious. It's interesting. It gets or it's contentious on a different scale. Right. It's it's really about, again, like that epistemic frame that we're trying to enter into. And so, you know, it. Yeah, no. I've been rambling. That's fine. One of the reasons I really wanted I wanted to. um let me know when it's conversation is I listened to your podcast with uh is it Dos- Dosiah? Was that his name? Um the really esoteric guy. I, I like I like him on Twitter, but he's very um esoteric. And you mentioned uh I completely forgot about that poll I posted about the um like most important brands of philosophy. I recently mm-hmm. went back to that poll and I looked through it and I'm still kind of uh not shocked at Essex one, but kind of like really Essex. And I, I, I think it's the more and more I do polls, the more and more I realize my audience is not general. <laughs> it's very niche and very specific. And I'm realizing that if I put up a poll saying most important uh, uh, single of the 20th century, and I put Mises on there next to uh, about anyone else, they're all gonna go Mises. And it's sure. um, and it's, it's really a the um, the point of the poll. Really, I wanted to uh, give people's take on why different branches have importance in, the, in, in um, philosophy as a whole. And it really did seem like the libertarians kind of went in there and um, all voted ethics because the most important thing to them is a ethical framework of how people should act amongst each other and not a anything like to me ethics is like the end point you view metaphysics and epistemology to determine okay is this ethic true and how is this true and they kind of like just skip that to the end of the ethics ethics side of things. See what I'm saying? They when I do, too. yeah, when I mean, you know, I, I enjoy conversations like this. I have them on my show sometimes. Mm-hmm. But when I do my solo show, my concern is not whether my audience has um, the same epistemology as me 
for the same yeah. metaphysical beliefs. My my concern is putting on a good show and like delivering information in an entertaining way to where people can understand complex topics more easily. I I leverage all the knowledge that I have in these other fields to make that happen. Right. Which is different. And I'm just so I'm trying to draw the distinction out between like the intellectual pursuit for itself and excuse me, what you, what can you do with that intellectual pursuit? The reason being, I think that's the reason why ethics won. And I think there's a reason why ethics, if you like, if you take one philosophy class in, in like a traditional college setting, it's going to be an ethics or ethics is like one of the most common ones that's offered that you're supposed to take. Hmm. And I think, and I think again, kind of makes sense if we think of ethics as that part of philosophy that tells you how you should be acting right but if you're gonna but if you're gonna call yourself somebody who's interested in philosophy you are you by you're you're supposed to be signaling that you understand those other fields exist even if your specialist even if your specialty is in like ethics um so you know i think that's i think that's the interesting part of your question i think if you ask that to most i think if you ask that to any sample size most people are going to say ethics because mm -hmm. they, they because they kind of remember that word right and they have conversations at work about ethical behavior but mm -hmm. like but to your but to elucidate the point in case people aren't following is like the reason for that is because like ethics always is because ethics always there's always multiple like ethics and ethics are always mapped on top of a system or like a way of being or like a society if you will there's always there's multiple ethical frames that can fit on top of like a society or a you know a, a significantly dense and large enough population of people uh because there's always then like the system and ethics is kind of like how you relate with the system relate to the system and act within the system right if if the system allows for three choices but your ethical system only says one of those is right well well, then why is it that the system can allow for three ethical choices you see and that's again where you know like i've i've said it before and I've, I've i've i made it very clear like i'm not particularly interested in having twitter spats i'll do like entertaining stuff here and there but i'm if if somebody wants to debate me on a philosophical idea you know then let's find but we have to have it in the medium where it's appropriate and we have to make sure that we're having the conversation properly and that's mm -hmm. what gets lost in twitter yeah absolutely <clears throat> um that really covers most of the points i wanted to kind of like go over um let's move into the next part of things for uh where would uh, you're a practicing skeptic as you uh, admit you said admit sure. um where would be a place uh, how do i put this how would a libertarian listening to this who thinks, yeah, I don't know the basic presuppositions or I don't know the philosophy things, like, um, or they don't know any philosophical terms or jargon, what would you say is a place they could get started? If you have, do you have any book ideas or any uh, video or lecture series you could think of, or how would they begin to like orient themselves to properly think about and rectify the lack of philosophy in their, in their political ideology? philosophy th this is some of the best advice i've ever been that i was ever given Phil good philosophy is about trying to change the way your brain works <laughs> so when you're in really engaging with philosophy again there, i think there's i think there's a couple ways that people kind of engage with philosophy one is to find their and, and i'm not criticizing it but i think there has to be a strong distinction made between them one is to find their team and there's then that's a completely human thing to do. And by the way, I'm somebody who finds his own teams, as it were. 
but there's people who there, there's people who are looking at philosophy to find their team, right? These are the answers that I can use. Um, we could, I think, part of that is because of how a religious our age is, right? Where you would have turned to like a religious structure to answer these questions. A lot of people will turn to philosophies, but the, and then there's people, like I said, that that use philosophy as that as that uh, tool of exploration, right? Um, your question, remind me of your question. Where, how's it, what's the people, um, do what's the battalions do who elect to understand the ah, yes, 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 yes. So, yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's so, but to the, the, the point is when you're, when you're doing it right. And I would assume I haven't taken like Liberty classroom, but I like the people that Tom Woods has there. So that would probably be a good place to start. I think it's pretty good. Um, but it, it's really it's understanding that aspect of it so while you can enter it with an ideological frame and it's possible and i certainly did by the way with that standard libertarian frame for a lot of the things that i read the you're not getting what you're supposed to get out of philosophy if you if you're not going that further step of as the aristotle quote that hangs up in my in my room here says it is the mark of an educated mind to entertain a thought without accepting it so that's so again that's like that's that other part of philosophy where now again and part of that is where it comes okay so now we're going to have the exchange and i'm you're going to debate your precepts and i'm going to debate mine right so part of so why do i say practicing skepticism i say i say kind of for the same reason that people say they practice medicine where it's like it's not about having a completed set of ideas for me it comes from a radical a radical position of doubt um, and, and that, and that, that in turn gives me a method to understand the world. So it's not about deconstructing things, right? It's about how can, how can you put them back together? The skepticism is the deconstruction, but you act, but, but when you can put it back together, that's, well, that's what I call sense-making, um, in, in that I, you know, you know, branding, um, <laughs> but, and so, um, the, you know, there's a point I like uh, in the chat. I like Hegelian dialectics to a limited degree. There's nothing I, I think Hegel, the pro, I think the proper way to look at somebody like Hegel is like one of these people who has had profound influences on Western thought. Um, and so you can't really escape Hegel, just like as libertarians, you can't really escape liberalism. <laughs> um now i now I, here's the thing monarchists the same thing goes for you guys right you guys can, it's the, there's this um like i said there's like the people looking for their tribe right and so there's always the tendency to say like oh, okay cool here look i found the thing i found the thing um and you need people like that in a society right otherwise things wouldn't things wouldn't get done yeah um <clears throat> but yeah did i answer yeah. the question that's I, I, it, it really starts I, for me. It has to start from a radical position of doubt and an mm -hmm. openness of mind um, yeah. and understanding that you're going to have to read through things that don't always make sense to you. And in fact, don't don't um, you don't agree with and you have to be able to actually put those arguments together. Uh, this is yeah. This is actually a problem I, I've noticed that I, uh, a lot of libertarians don't read outside. If they read at all, a lot of them don't read outside of libertarianism. Um, sure. as, as they, they know they're going to already agree with it. So you rarely see someone read a book when they 
uh, have to like draw the argument and say, why do I agree or disagree with this? They read books that only they know, okay, libertarian agrees with this. I'm libertarian. I must, I'm supposed to agree with this. And they read out. And there's nothing wrong with like reading more to strengthen your ideology and know more about your ideology. But I think there's a real uh, lack of entertaining opposition in a libertarian's mind, in a libertarian framework. Well, look, libertarian, I, I'm, I'm not the mind. I, but I, but like, to some, but to some extent, I understand that as like economizing your time. Yeah. Why would I dedicate a lot of time to reading the other side? There's only a few people who really need to do that. If you have a sufficiently broad enough movement, would be <laughs> would be my honest would be my honest perception of that world. What what the the frustrating part is when somebody won't admit that, and because <laughs> of for their ego or for their status or for whatever you know for for their own podcast feed, they go and they, you know like they just they won't admit it. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that can get frustrating. There's other, you know, there's always, I've always experienced these people. And again, these, I, there's a higher con, there's a higher concentration of them in libertarianism, you might say, but they exist elsewhere, but it's, um, it's the people who logic, try to logic you into things and who view. And, and the way I, my formulation is they're people who view logic as an end and not the means. And that's a philo- that's a philosophical distinction right there, if there ever was one. When you're dealing with what is logic your ends or logic your means, and there's a lot of people that think, and and, and you know there are reasons for this we can get into, and those reasons including schools of thought that were very very popular throughout human history that held precisely that if you po- if you postulate the most ra- rational argument for something, it must have some correspondence to truth, right? But so there is the belief that just because there is a logic two libertarian arguments therefore libertarianism must be completely true and and therefore if i can if i can get you to accept logic then you must accept libertarianism and it's like no you missed there there's going back to the point you said before because economics relies on presuppositions as the people as the as the top players in the field will lay out Mm -hmm. in detail whenever they do the theorizing of their field um because it relies on those presuppositions, you can again get on faulty footing when you try to maximize that across the philosophical range. Yeah, Ra- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, let's see here. Personally, um, now on your point about uh, like you really only need a few people in a movement to read outside the movement to engage with the other ideas, and it is a is a, a frustrating way of. Remember, I remember who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody how I read uh, George Will's. Um, statecraft is soulcraft mm-hmm. uh, and i i despise george will like i absolutely cannot stand the guy um and there are people who are like critics who i was talking to who like why does he waste time reading a 200 page book that has nothing in there what's value I'm like well at least i want to know what the opposition thinks of the state it thinks of libertarianism like there's sure there's value to be had and, and it was um like i wasn't telling everybody to go read it i was just using it to like a point like a reference and it was this weird um opposition to even like using um an outside ideology's point about you about anything like it's a i, I don't know what it is exactly like it causes it but it's a it's a um how i put it it's a weird it's a pretty it's a pretty standard sociology okay so it's like it's it like if we, it's in groups and out groups it's mm-hmm. it, when it when you're talking about any any kind of like subculture it's always about in groups and out groups and 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 for people who read part of that in group is what kind of books you're reading right like mm-hmm. you know if you start talking to somebody uh it, you know like a, a, a 
oh hey i like to read oh me too what do you what do you like to read and she says she likes to read fiction and you say you like to read nonfiction, but how you always think about you want to read fiction more but really you just end up watching tv and you know and then you i don't know hopefully grab drinks after that in after (laughs) that uh, exchange but like to the point is the the point is like you know if if people go outside the reservation for information that's like that's that's a problem if too again if too many people are doing that that then like that that could be a problem because what are you learning that i'm not and also also when a subculture prides itself on like being on on like being having like access to secret knowledge i've called it like this i've called this thing like the secret knowledge fallacy and it's something like and, and the formulation is something like if only the rest of the world knew what i knew the world would be a better place so says my secret knowledge it's, it's literally and, just a weed wasp party so it's yeah <laughs> like, that's, right that's, that's it mm-hmm and again, and I think for here's and here's the rub. Here's where they're right. For a lot of people, a rational argument is enough to convince them of a particular way of thinking. But that's mm-hmm. not all people. And this is, again, where I kind of started. I mentioned a while ago in the conversation. But this idea that I have of your temperament manifesting through behavior and politics is just one of the ways in which that it is one of the ways in which that manifests, I guess, um, the most in our modern day because of democracy because of the height because of the level of technology that we have the fact that we can even have a conversation like this kind of requires that you know that that we're going to have a more hyper uh, that's basically what we've discovered right is that because of the rate of technological exchange politics has become more polarized and people have yeah niched out as it were yeah But I think again to the point. There's that. There's it, it's. There's no shame in not. There's no shame in not knowing something, except in a except in a subculture which prides itself on knowing things, <laughs> right? So and and again, we're all creatures of ego, and we're all creatures who want to like defend what little we have. Yeah. Um. And so what? Ha- what? Where the fr- again? Where where our human frustrations enter in is largely I have found when it comes to when people, you know, don't recognize that uh, influence. And, and it's one thing. And, you know, when I was younger, when people would make fun of me and say that I tried to use words to sound smart, I would just kind of like, I was confused. And then after it happened enough times, you kind of start to realize that, you know, you ha- I think you have to, I think you have to like recalibrate how you in- interact with the world. If that, if stuff like that happens consistently enough. Yeah. Um, but to the point is it's a very it's a very funny funny thing when people throw that out to me as an insult and it's always a very common one it's like oh you use big words to sound smart and this the, the sad truth is that i wasn't trying to use big words it's actually it's literally something that i struggle with when i write yeah i've had it happen before where i normally just say uh because i'm smarter than you sorry that I'm was like well, sorry that was so i have to be self-aware but that was like <laughs> such a douchey podcaster diatribe that i just went on yeah it's fine this is the pod this is a niece podcast with four people watching on yeah. a sunday night it's gonna be the most podcasty podcast you know that's fair, fair. Uh, to go i want to have to have a podcast with three guys in tank top just complaining about women at a shopping center that's all i'll say going that. back you know i've said it ace let's let's uh how about have caleb host the debate man let's do it i'm let's willing find, to do it. let's find a fun topic I'm down like to have it. I do, I love. I actually love debate. You know, that's the funny part is that I, like there's this part of um, you know, like 
I was I've crit I I will continue to criticize Twitter debate, especially when mm -hmm. people don't use it in the right right frame. And yeah. if you're not using it like WWE, you're not using it in the right frame. If you think if you mm -hmm. if you legitimately and I say this is I say this is a recovering Facebook <laughs> addict. It's like you know, and and truthfully, I've like come to like think Facebook in particular is so pernicious because people can write for as long as they want. And if you are again, if you have if if we're talking about the subculture of libertarianism, like you're talking about people of like a certain verbal acuity because to gain interest in the ideas for the most part, you have to be like, you, you have to have some grasp, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the, and just the fact of the matter is, especially in the written word, especially when you can write for a long periods of time or short periods of time on Twitter, if you're smart enough, you can always twist things well enough to kind of, to keep suiting your side. That's why, yeah. again, logic is the means, not the end. And that's, and, and so people, but people who treat logic as an end, think that that tool that they're that what they're doing is like asserting their their moral correctedness on a situation when in reality they're just they're just deploying mm -hmm. a rhetorical trick yeah um which is why personally i think debate is best held in a moderated environment where you know some where where at least somebody can say okay it's done yeah you know and um yeah. My, favorite, my favorite kind of debates are ones like the um seeing sort of Oxford side debate. Um maybe maybe it's Oxford side debate. Is that what uh, there's one where there's a voting thing at the end of it, and then there's one where it's like each side gets 15 minutes and 10 minute rebuttals and they move on and they have a cross-examination period. I think I think those are the fit styles I prefer. Um my problem is like I I love Twitter debate because I like to have the time to sink ahead of what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not super quick on my feet, and so I don't like normally face-to-face -face or um, that, like free-flow debates. If it's structured, I can do pretty well. Um, but hey, you and Ace both have sub-stacks. You know, maybe you guys can do a, a sub-stack debate. <laughs> you know, it's why these giant long letters to each other. They're just giant debates, but... Um be honest i don't care that much um i i i mean it's i again i'm happy it's fun to do it's fun from a content standpoint and i like mm -hmm. to poke fun at, and you know like that's part of this podcasting thing is you poke fun at people yeah um i really i've never met the man i'm sure i've heard nice things about him and for me nice again dude. for me again it's the intellectual pursuit so like for the mm -hmm. sake of it i'll have the uh i'll have the debate for certain uh for, for you know for a topic that i feel like i could properly defend yeah. right yeah um Anyway, that's just that's just having fun. Absolutely. But it, but 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 I do think if uh, if I'm speaking in all honesty, I do think the st that style of Twitter engagement that he engages in is honestly, um, it's it's it hurts. It hurts more mm. than it helps. That mm. that's just my honest opinion. Um, just kind of from my from my interactions with it. Also seeing, uh, you know, friends of mine interact with it, and it's kind of like this thing of like, oh, well, we can always go and yeah, I. Just, I I don't know. Yeah. I, again, I'm. I like. I try to focus in the building and the solution in, in the solution oriented space, and that's one of the. That's yeah. one of the reasons why you don't see me on Twitter too too much. Every once in a while, I'll get like a lazy day where I'm not super busy, and I can like I can poke some fun at stuff. But yeah. that's that's again. I think Twitter is WWE is the best frame, the best lens for mm -hmm. you to use it in a healthy way. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Because otherwise, you're gonna spin. You're gonna spin out of control. Yeah, no, the person who uses Twitter to do it correctly is uh, I think his name on Twitter is um Zake underscore Q. Um, um that guy guess, uses it correctly. Let but, me, you know what? I'm gonna have to caveat because in the, especially in the political space, because mm -hmm. for like because if I, I like you know again if you're like a creator and you're putting out and you're like doing the information thing and you do graphs and charts like that's all cool too. 
But if you're doing the commentary thing, it's, you know, you have to have yeah. that WWE sort of thing. And that's, again, like, you know, I, I put that's why I put out clips and stuff like that. Hmm. Well, we've gone for, let's go, for, we got a bit, bit more time. Let's go back 15 more minutes. Um, I, I would say that I think libertarians really, um, a good place to start for a lot of libertarians, I think, when they want to understand um, philosophy, I would say David Gordon has a lot of great stuff, specifically mm-hmm. on history of economic thought. I think like studying a history of thought is a good, in my my view, a good introduction to a lot of different ideals. And it does, it does a good job of laying out, like, okay, this guy thinks this way, this guy thinks this way. I could then use what I agree with or disagree with and figure out where to, where to go more from there. So Wasbach's History of Economic Thought is a good book to kind of at least understand the foundations of Austrian economics and other schools of economic thought. And then really a lot of the a lot of these people aren't economic, economists, they're philosophers who had economic thinking. So I think that's a, a good place to start. But yeah, and you know, or like pick up Plato and read those. Um, there's, can't you know, there's, I can't recommend Plato enough. I, I love Plato. And it's kind of, well, it's kind of like for the same reason that you should read the Bible is you should understand you should understand what's kind of at the beginning for mm-hmm. the, the culture and society of today you live in. I think that's the other thing, because we've talked about how economics is a very modern science, right? Nobody would disagree with that assertion, even though even though the even though praxeology per se has always existed, because there's always been <coughs> there has always been a certain logic to human behavior in that that's been codified. In, in the in the praxeological is very modern and i think that's that is the true benefit of a good but a decent philosophical education is to give you a sense of the scope of humans trying to sort out uh questions and trying yeah. to figure things out and i've talked to i think i've even talked about on your stream before about like the pre-socratics so like even before socrates even before this guy that we all kind of say he's the one who started something there were people still there were people still trying to figure these kind like still trying to figure these puzzles out like mm-hmm. i was reading um i was reading the introduction to a uh, version of um euclid and and like and they were kind of like talking about the world and it was like and they were talking about geometry the way we might talk about uh, an episode a clip from timcast or from the joe rogan experience you know it's like did you see so and so's proof and it was kind of like and i was like struck by this vision of of like a society where like the people in the know they were all debating geometric proofs and when you realize that people like that lived over two thousand years ago at this point you start to again for me it's like this rich fulfilling tradition of humanity to realize it goes back so so far um and and of course you know you can tie i think a lot of that that modern that uh, conceit, if you will, on you know m- enlightened modern enlightenment modernism, and certainly the postmodern age as well. Yeah, of you know the idea of that there being knowledge ancient. Uh, in, uh, yeah, that that that, uh, that basically just the idea that the new knowledge supplants the old knowledge, and we don't need to worry about it. Yeah, no, and I, to I, agree I thought... to to sorry to the degree that the libertarian believes that it's kind of just being also a victim of the age. Mm. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. There's definitely a lot. I think, um, specifically, why someone who's getting more and more into like, you know, uh, scholastic philosophy or Greek philosophy, kind of going more into like that area. There's a lot of people who, um, I don't blame them for not liking philosophy because when they think philosophy, they think of Descartes, uh, like Descartes, uh, what was it, um, the dualism? I'm thinking Cartesian dualism, where they think of like, I'm just a mind in a vow. That's dumb. Like it's that bell curve meme, you know, where it's like the. You know, 
the uh, 80 IQ reality mm-hmm. exists. They caught in the middle. Like I could be a, it could be a demon, like projecting false reality. And then the 180 IQ, and it's like, no reality exists. And it's, it's, um, I don't blame people for having this rejection of post of uh, everything after the enlightenment philosophy. I don't have, I don't blame them for wanting to say philosophy is all just that, but in the same way that after the reformation happened, the uh, founding reform was, Kind of uh, outlawed a lot of the you know Greek and Catholic metaphysics and philosophy. Um, that had such a major impact. That is still I think still kind of existing today, even though the knowledge is out there and accessible. It's still mm-hmm. just like it's not can like who came up who it was. There's some um, it was Roderick Long, the libertarian guy. He was doing a history of like philosophy stuff, and he went from Plato, Aristotle to Kant. <laughs> And that was like the order of events. And I'm like, okay, you're gonna skip, you know, huge. Like, it's big, big names. But I think it kind of glance over the entire medieval period is a True. mistake. Well, right. Well, there's and there's well, but there's the reason for that, right? Like, and there, yeah, there, there's historic. And this is, but again, to the point. So this, even this, you know, supposedly noble field of study is still subject to the same to same. Uh, political pressures that any other field is uh, subject to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, uh, well, and in fact, you know, I talked about the difference between a more like I, I, I kind of, I use the term generalist to, cause I have a penchant for being uh, disparaging to myself. Um, but you know, like I like, but the idea of generalism or synthesis, the synthesis of information versus the uh like again that breaking like the current university model which is like the super niched out interest to where if i'm going to go and be an academic that means i'm going to have a particular niche that i write in and i contribute to this particular field and i don't make major contributions to popular culture because i don't i'm not considered uh, i don't consider popular culture important for fields like physics that makes a lot of sense for fields that deal with society i don't think that makes a lot of sense yeah um and what's and this is again to the point of what's interesting is you actually see that that desire for synthesis in the scholastics and in that and in the intellectual culture of the medieval times and what you know what is called today the dark ages um so it's uh, yeah it's just, it's just, it's an interesting it's interesting how and and there's a there's a need for both i suppose but i think i think uh well in that i've tried to make it a in, in that I've tried to make it catchy, I think that like theirs was an age of fission, right? If we think about the 20th century, and I think mm-hmm. ours is an age of fusion, and I mm-hmm. think that's one of the reasons why philosophy has actually become more important, right? We, that's why Jordan Peterson happened, you know, why he was able to kind of engage with things in a philosophical way, but also in a popular way that a lot of people could interact with, yeah. Um, and again, for me, and that, like just to be clear, for me, that's the part that I find interesting, is how you can get broad, is how you can get more people to pay attention to philosophical ideas, and it's something that I try to do. It's something that I try to do in my show, and I try to leverage those insights where they're applicable and use that to like analyze the media and analyze, um, power, you know, power structures and, 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 and use the skeptical method as a means of anti-formalism. Um, going back to the point of it's just about really, it's just a question of radical doubt person, a skeptical person, as you'll find, if you listen to my show is I can have very strong beliefs about things. I just always maintain the position that I could be proven wrong yeah. about, about something. And so I, you know, I take in, I take in evidence and reason and, you know, and, and, and it, it also means that things can change too. 
because there's multiple levels, right? You might have like a tactical level, a strategic level, and then like, a, uh, or what is it? The point being, you can have that. You can have that grand overarching narrative. Then you have. Then you have more proximate. You have your ultimate explanation for things, and you have your proximate explanation for mm -hmm. things. No, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it is a great show. I, I've incorporated like my daily, my, my news shows for the week. Like your show and Matt Walsh are like my news shows I watch for uh, current events. Thank you. So I'm definitely well, I'm enjoying it. For. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Well, we've gone for 55 minutes. Uh, I really only have like one more point. Um, there is a. It seems to be with a lot of libertarians. Um, again, this is just me, pretty much. This is this is my libertarian complaint episode, pretty much. Like I, this has been. It's been like a lot of things I've noticed over the past. Tell me, uh, tell me your troubles. I'll tell you why. That should, yeah, should I, I guess I should have. Uh, yeah, had a pipe or something for this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's like a someone who's getting more and more into philosophy, more and more like outside strictly libertarian circles. I'm noticing a lot of things. I'm like, okay, I need to at least. For my own comfort, call this out at least once. So if, if anyone uh, if I point to it again, someone says, "Well, where did this come from?" I don't have an episode complaining about this in the past. So go watch that. Um, there is, seems to be this. Um, how do I put this? Uh, with some specifically left libertarians or more mainstream libertarians or uh, re regime libertarians, as uh, Lou Walker would call them, um, they have no real art statements or we're kind of more relativist. Where it's like, well. Um, I just want these uh, gay people to protect marijuana marijuana farms with the AR-15s. And then when you say, well, I don't think, you say anything un-PC and immediately you, you're um, a damnable person everyone to ignore. You know, they have this very, uh, how do I put this? Libertarians, you would think, would have strict uh, moral standards for, okay, we, want, we need people to act in these ways that will ensure a liberty-free society. But they have, they are very hesitant to call out anything as actually being immoral or more because their legal framework becomes their whole ideology. Do you have any comments on that kind of observation? I think that the modern libertarian movement is was a pretty interesting experiment, <laughs> and it was a pretty interesting experiment. And well, it was an ex it was an experiment for multiple reasons. Primary among them, it was about the it was a like you know think of the last fifty years with the modern libertarian party, okay. So it was this experiment of saying let's have an ideologically committed political party, you know a third a third and it, forget about the fact that it's a third runner in a two man race. We want an ideologically committed party, and so the idea was if we have a political party set around ideology, that would actually be better. Because then people from across the country, because prior to that, it's it's it, in modern politics, you you have to understand the historical thing, this historical point. Most politics was geographical, right? <laughs> like for up and basically up and through the New Deal and through the 60s and the, and so on. Most pop most politics was was geographical. That's why you would have your you would have your right your left wing Republicans and your right wing Democrats, right? Your Dixiecrats or whatever. They're different ones that use different ones that were used in um in, in uh, used as examples. And so then you had the Libertarian Party said, okay, well let's 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 bind people around ideology. And so it's like, oh, okay, cool. That kind of sounds like it'll work. Well, turns out when you bind people around ideology specifically these libertarian ideas you actually bind people who are interested in the ideas for completely different reasons that doesn't become a problem until oh you know 
14 years into the 21st century when we when there's this thing called social media that we realize can have massive influence across the population and 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 we and when in fact we realize that we can manipulate people's temperament their behavior based off of like assumptions and in particular as it relates to politics we can do this we can manipulate their behavior so now we have political parties that are far more a reflection of people's behavior and yes to a large degree geography but there's there are certain behavioral and cultural attitudes that go with being a republican today that didn't 20 years that that weren't certainly 50 years ago right again if we're talking about this libertarian experiment and so i think what what so what you ended up seeing was that libertarianism brought together disparate personalities that based off the pressure points that the current the current authority structures want to hit actually divide people in half multiple times and that's where you mm -hmm. see the split on things like and so again your temperament manifested through your behavior that's why we see the split on things like abortion and on things like immigration and on things like gun control and these and what i when i would classify all those as part of the cult of american democracy and because again behavior manifesting your, your your temperament manifesting through your behavior right it's not the case that the average person in a democracy thinks oh well you know once we once we let in 30% of an if we have a 30% immigration rate with a with a 6% mortality rate and a 3% a 3% birth rate and blah, blah 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 no that's not how most people interact with the idea of immigration most people interact with the idea either you know if you're a more conservative person right if you you know if you're if you're a more conservative person if you have a if you have a stricter idea of what hierarchy is if you if you understand that borders are important and in fact in your own in your own everyday life borders are really really important for you right like you have a job that you do well and you do it the same way every single day and you wake up in the morning and you probably have the same routine because these borders are essential for your existence you say and you're like well hang on we have a legal immigration system, so why are people allowed to come here illegally? That's wrong. That's unfair. And then the other side of that is somebody who is, let's say, very, very high in openness, right? And that person who's very, very high in openness sees a child and says, that child, that child is my child. That child could be my child, but there but for the grace of God go I, right? It could have been if, if uh, it's the it's the it's the toss of the die that means i was born in america and this person wasn't who am i to exclude them from my country so you see a completely rational and coherent standpoint that yeah. exists at the core here but then the but then the political but then the political game that's being played because much of what we consider politics is really just like a propaganda war and like trying to control certain you know certain degrees of certain amounts of the population but so since most of what we're seeing is actually a propaganda war, it's actually about stoking those those tension points where, again, we can we can rationalize coherent arguments on both sides. Well, then we turn those things into something like open or closed borders. And there are these like strict, rigid definitions of what these things mean. And so now I'm stuck in a debate about open and closed borders when like clearly the clearly the analogy to use is a semi permeal membrane. Hmm. Well, why don't why don't we get to that point? We don't get to that point because of the incentive structure of, of most political debate, including libertarian political debate, because it kind of borrows from it borrows from that same democratic tradition. It kind of has to, you know. 
mm-hmm. because again, we're all victims of the age we 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 were yeah. uh, were raised in. No, I I, I, I <coughs> excuse me. I hundred percent agree. Like I, I made a post a while ago about how um, because we're all born in a uh, liberal society, we all kind of like, like suffer from what James Bunn called the liberal syndrome. Like we all yeah. kind of have that, and uh, just intrinsically, because like, you're inundated with it from the moment you're born with your society and culture. You're gonna have these things that you have to be on, be acknowledged at least, be on, at least. Uh, I gave an example. Where I, like I was thinking of something. Like why? Why does it make me feel guilty? Well, it's not that I actually is wrong. It's that I've been society has conditioned me to believe that that is a wrong, and there's a distinction there. But uh, we've sure. gone for well, an and, hour. And, and to right. the well, and I was gonna say, in the process of philosophy, is meeting out whether or not the fact, whether or not it is society telling us something, or perhaps whether it is actually the good in itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we've gone for an hour and two minutes. Uh, do you have any final thoughts before you give your plugs? Any final uh, thoughts on the conversation? Oh, only that. No, I mean, I think we, I think we covered it well. You know, I think, um, I think, it, I think. I, I like people to play more with this idea of, you know, behavior, behavior, manifest your temperament manifesting through your behavior. It's mm-hmm. a really useful lens when you start to put things through that, especially when you analyze the political situation, political arguments, when you realize that when you're having a political disagreement, again, this is more, this is better advice for your friends and family than it is for your, than it is for a stranger on the internet. But, um, it, yeah, just you know, recognize that, and some people, some people really do see things from a different perspective, and that's why we need things like philosophy and economics to help us to help uh, formalize knowledge, so that we can activate things at a cultural level. And in summation, that cultural level also has a biological input, and it's all connected, and everything is really, really cool, man. So yeah. you know, fun times. Um, absolutely. Well, go ahead and give your plugs um, if you like. Sorry, if you like anything that I've had to say today, please, please, please go to beenawake.com, subscribe with your email address. Uh, I release videos, clips, uh, full podcasts, original writing, um, and plenty more in due time. Go there, subscribe, get a two-week trial, take a look at some of the stuff that I put out behind the paywall. I try to put some things out, but really just if you throw me a few bones, it shows me that I'm doing something worthwhile and it helps me dedicate more time to it in uh, in my daily life. Awesome. Oh, and follow me on all social media at the LB Muniz. Got it. Well, got. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Well, that's another episode of uh, Face, Liberty, and Practice. This is season two, episode eight. Uh, based on what we just talked about, uh, go read some Plato. Specifically, I would say the five. Um, five dialogues would you agree that would be a place to start with plato oh i mean that's that that tends to be the place to start either that or the republic i mean if you have a mm. if you have like a if you want specifically just the pol- the political nuts i would say go with that and then you know like look for people who have lectures on stuff yeah. as well absolutely if you want an overall view of philosophy i would say uh uh the cave in the light by oh my god what's his name uh also herman Cave in the yes. Light, History of Plato uh, Opposed to Aristotle to uh, Western History. Really good book. Like I cannot recommend that book enough to people. And for all the libertarians, he's like, well, why should I read that book? Well, he was he filmed this Michael Mass and went on the show a couple of times. So you have, you have an out. You have an excuse. There you go. He's in the oh, end group. He's in the end group. You're, you're allowed to read this guy. So there we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, uh, go read Plato. Have a good night.